I brought with me a book. A picture book, like a puzzle picture book. This is the I Spy one. There's a whole lot of different ones of these. I'm sure that you have seen different ones. But you open it up and it just looks like a whole page of Christmas ornaments. This is a whole Christmas-themed book. And as you look you begin to notice there's several things you're looking for. There's a, there's a whole list of things that you're supposed to try to find, like a clock and a bumpy green pickle and Santa on a sleigh and a face on a nickel. And I don't think they all rhyme like that, but that was kind of... No, they do rhyme. That's kind of fun. Um, so when I do this with my kids, uh, Reed's like got these pages memorized. Instantly, he knows where everything is. Like, I can't see it. I'm looking at it. There's things I'm supposed to see, and, and it takes me forever to find them. There's, there's other ones, not just hidden objects in photographs like this, but you know the, the books that are like black and white pencil line drawings, and at first like it looks like a grumpy old man, but then you turn the picture upside down, and it's a beautiful princess or something? You know those kinds of things? that is just here's these puzzles that at first you're looking at one thing and there's only this that you can see there's something in front of you that's clearly visible you can see it you can touch it in life there are so many things getting away from puzzle books that we can see that we can touch that we can taste that we can smell and our senses only can see the visible what's right in front of us but in the Christian life in terms of what it means to follow God and a life lived by faith we're going to have to learn to see things that you can't see. We're going to have to look for the unseen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the author to the Hebrews says it this way in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. You see, as Christians, we live life by faith on the convictions of things. We know for sure they're true. These aren't wishful dreams that we think might happen. We have convictions of things we can't see. You can't explain them. You can't touch them. You can't taste them. You can't smell them. You can't look at a picture of them. But there are things we can't see and we know that they are true. And that's what we have to live our lives by as followers of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like to live a life of faith in that way? That, that we are people who are dependent on the unseen. As we go into this story, in the story of David and Goliath, you're going to note this is the longest story in terms of a description of a Davidic battle, a battle that David was involved in in all of the Old Testament. It's got some of the most detail of any descriptions of any stories. We love the story of David and Goliath. If there's one story that people know from the Bible, even if they've never been to church, they probably know something about David and Goliath. It makes it into our vernacular. Every March in the March Madness tournament, some commentator is going to talk about a Cinderella story and call it, it's the David and Goliath of this year's tournament, right? The little guy taking on the big guy. And so we know the story well, and it's incredibly detailed about things you can see and things that people heard and things people said to one another and the weight of certain pieces of armor and the height of Goliath and all of these things can be seen. They can be tested. They can be measured. They're visible. And yet, in the story, the story is not about how tall Goliath was. The story is not about how many stones David took with him. The story is not about whether or not Saul's armor fit on David. The story is about something you can't see. 
the story is about a God who's at work to show himself powerful. See, the story is a theological story. What I mean by that is simply it's a story of truth about God, and we need to know it. We need to see it. David, in the story, was able to see things that no one else saw. And so as we walk through the story, I want to show you some of the characters that everyone in the story got it wrong. Everyone in the story was seeing things inaccurately. And David, because of his faith in who God was, had a more accurate vision, and we want to think about it. You see, the story goes like this. One day Israel found themselves in battle. They were in battle with the Philistines. Now, this wasn't a new battle. Remember, if some of the earlier chapters in 1 Samuel, the Philistines had captured the ark. And they put the ark, that thing which symbolized God's presence among his people, they put it in their own temple to the God of Dagon. Well, that only caused calamity to come upon Israel and eventually as to come upon the Philistines, excuse me. So the Philistines shipped the ark back to the people of Israel, and yet that didn't end the conflict. They were still at war. And so one day here at the Valley of Allah, in a valley that probably 12 to 14 miles west of Bethlehem, the Philistines find themselves in the territory of Judah, and they're still challenging the Israelites. They're still fighting with them. And on one side you have the Philistines, lined up and on another side you have the Israelites lined up and once a day in the morning and once a day in the evening twice a day a man named Goliath comes out he's the champion for the Philistines he's the one who's been sent out as their leader as their representative the one who is their captain and he comes to defy the people of Israel and he comes with a challenge you'll read it in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17 if you look at verse 8 here is what Goliath says he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel why have you come out to draw up for battle am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me and if he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us and the Philistine said I defy the ranks of Israel this day give me a man that we may fight together so Goliath comes out and makes this charge. It's a challenge. Hey, let's have a hand-to-hand -hand combat, our champion versus your champion. Now, what we skipped over in the text, the narrator of the story has paused for several verses. He's told us the Philistines are on one side, there's the Israelites on the other side, and rather than just continuing the story, he pauses to tell us about Goliath. Similar to the way that an announcer would say, and in this corner at six foot, one inch, 212 pounds of pure muscle, but it's not, just, it's not just height and weight. He's got to go on for a long time in suspense building the story. You see, this was a man who was extremely tall. A little bit of difficulty in translating the measurements, but, but well over nine feet tall is probably the most recognized measurement. He's a giant. Uh, and, and, and so here he is, not just a giant, but he's very well armored. He has a helmet of bronze. He has a coat of scale armor that's in the neighborhood of 125 pounds. He has bronze armor on his legs. So you put his helmet and his, the armor on his legs and his 125-pound coat of armor, his armor weighs more than a lot of the Israelite soldiers. Uh, this is a big dude. The spear that he carries, the, 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 the shaft of the spear is the size of a weaver's beam. The, the iron head on the tip of the spear is 15 pounds. This is a giant. 
unlike any giant. You see, this just isn't a, a, a battle of, of the Philistine champion versus the Israelite champion. The narrator is setting this up to help us see these odds are irreconcilable. Like this is an impossible battle. Who could ever take this man on? And so what happens? Well, the Israelites are in fear. They cower. They do nothing. And every day he lines up in the morning and he lines up in the evening. And for 40 days he makes this challenge and nothing happens. Well, at this point in the story, the narrator pauses and brings us back to the person of David. You see, David wasn't at the battle yet. He was still tending the sheep. He was the youngest. The three oldest were at the battle. And, and, and so Jesse, David's father, says, Here, I want you to go check in on your siblings. Tell me how my children are doing. Take these loaves. And he sends cheeses for the other soldiers. And so David goes back and forth, and he's there to visit the brothers, and he hands off some of the supplies to the captain of war. And he goes to visit with his brothers and as he's visiting with them he hears the challenge he hears Goliath give this challenge and David says what what gives how long has this been going on why is no one fighting him and David decides that he will go and fight now David has to exchange some words with his brothers we're gonna look at those he has to exchange some words with Saul we're gonna look at those to convince him that he can go and fight and then he exchanges some words with Goliath and we're gonna look at those and yet David realizes whose the battle is and David fearless in the face of danger puts his hand into a shepherd's pouch and he takes out a stone. It would have been a, a reasonably large stone, perhaps the size of a baseball or tennis ball, and he puts it in his sling. It's not like our slingshots, but it would have been two long strips of leather with a pouch in the middle that he could swing round and round and create great velocity. And as he, uh, shepherds of the day and others became very skilled in accuracy with this, and he lets the stone go and it sinks into the forehead of Goliath and he falls face down dead and David runs up to him takes Goliath's sword and finishes the job and uh, all of Israel rejoices in fact they chased the Philistines then and uh, didn't keep Goliath's promise that they would come serve Israel no they they run and they fight and many of them are killed and pursued and it's this great story of wow look at what David does look at how God used David to fight the, the, to fight Goliath and to conquer the Philistines. Now, as we think about the story, for sake of time, there's much I had to gloss over. I want to go back through and look at some of these characters and how were they viewing the story and how did they, how were they only looking at what they could see? They weren't looking at the unseen. They weren't looking with faith at who God was. And that's what I want us to focus on. And as we go through it, here's what I want you to be careful of. It's easy in this story to think and to put ourselves in David's shoes and think that the story is about us. Remember, I've told you before, the Bible is not about you. You're not the primary central character of the Bible. The Bible is primarily a story about God and who he is. So be careful in this story. You will be tempted to say, wow, um, maybe if I I just have enough faith whatever Goliath is in my life whether that be whatever problem you're facing maybe maybe you can have enough faith to slay the Goliath well though there are lessons we need to learn about the way David lived and apply those to our lives that's not the primary central point of the story the primary central point of the story is who God is and how he works and it's the same God who worked in David's life who is at work in our lives and there's where some of the lessons come in that we need to learn
And so we, we need to think about what does it mean to be a people who have such faith that we can see the things you can't see? That we can see what God is doing. And that's what we want to evaluate this morning. So let's start by looking at it this way. What did the Israelites see? If you go to verse 10, if you go to verse 10 after David, after Saul makes this challenge, here's what the Israelites see. Look at verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Go over to verse 24. Verse 24 says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So here's what's going on. The, the Israelites are looking at the size of Goliath, all those things that the narrator went to great lengths to say, this is how huge this man is, and that's all they can see. They can see this man is unbeatable. He's invincible. They are terrified. They are fearful, and there's no way that they believe this man could be beat. They are so scared, and, and, and the way verse 25 is written, it, it's, they, they're saying to each other continually, here's the conversation among themselves. When and they gathered together around the fire at night. Have you seen this man? Uh, he, he's defying our armies. We're scared of him. Every morning he comes out. Every evening he comes out. For 40 days he's been making this boast. And they are terrified because all they can see is the size of this man. All they can see is their problem in front of them. And, and, and they've forgotten about what they can't see. You see, this was not the first time Israel found themselves in this territory. You see, one other time, and, uh, and certainly others, but remember when God gave the people of Israel the promised land. There were 12 spies that went in to, to look out the land, and 10 of them said, no way, have you seen how huge the giants are in that land? Uh, uh, there's no way we're going into this battle. And, and yet Joshua and Caleb had faith, and God said they would deliver this. Well, here they are. The, the, the conquest that's been conquered, the land that's been conquered by Joshua, some of that is now being threatened. That conquest has been undone. The Philistines are making their way in to Judah and they stand in the way of another giant and they're terrified because they have forgotten who God is. But look what David says in verse 26. Here's the contrast where all they could see was the size of their problem. Look what David says in verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So the first question is just, what, what's the reward? What's the bounty? There, there were three things promised. There was a princess. There were riches. There was tax-free home for the father's family. But the second question is far more important. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you catch David's question? The Israelites looked in verse 24, verse 25. Have you seen this man? David says, yeah, I've seen him. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. That was how you knew you were in God's covenant people. He says, what are you talking about? He's not this man. He's not Goliath. He's a foreigner outside of God's covenant plan. And God had made a covenant with his people to give them the land. David knew that. Who is this puny little grasshopper that defies the armies of the living God? 
David knew that God was a covenant-keeping God, and it doesn't matter how tall Goliath is, he's not going to keep God from keeping his covenant promises to give the people the land. And David knew that, and yet the Israelites, well, they forgot. All they could see was what they could see. All they could see was how tall he was. Then, of course, the Israelites aren't the only one. Come to verse 28. Here's Eliab. Now, Eliab is his eldest brother and heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see battle. Here's Eliab, and all he can do is, at this point, whether, whether it's out of guilt for his own inability to get into the war, or whether it's out of jealousy, we don't exactly know for sure, but now here he's just critiquing David and saying, I know that there's this emphatic that, that I see your heart, David, and you're the evil one. Well, at this point, Eliab is the one with evil in his heart. He's the faithless one. And what does David do in response to this? David said, what have I done now? Verse 29. Was it not but a word? Why did I offend you? I'm just having a conversation. Well, didn't I, can't I ask a question? I'm just saying these things. And he turned, verse 30, away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. David's undeterred by this faithless critic. And he just simply says, I'm going to continue. Uh, my father commanded me to come down here. And, and David doesn't let it sidetrack him. And, and, and he realizes that, that, uh, that he's not the one with sin in his heart and continues on mission as he's supposed to. Well, let's come then to Saul because he's not accurately viewing the situation either. When you come down to verse 33, this is now David goes to Saul and says, Don't worry, don't be afraid, I'm going to go fight Goliath. And, and here's what Saul has to say in response to that. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul looks at the situation, and not only was he afraid with the Israelites, but now he looks at this boy in front of him and says, You can't fight Goliath, you're just a kid. And he's been a man of war since he was a kid. The only thing, Goliath, the only thing Saul can see is what's in front of him. What he could, what he could touch, what he could see, what, what was visibly there. And he just sees a kid. He couldn't see the invisible. David knew that he wasn't just a kid. David knew that, that, that there was more to the story than just this. Look at David's response then in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or, or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Same word. Paw of the lion, paw of the bear, hand of the Philistine. There's a play on words. And he's saying, God delivered me from the hand of the bear and the lion. God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David knew and understood who God was, that God was at work in preparing him. Though he was just a young kid, you see, David had spent years shepherding his father's sheep. 
He wasn't yet called to be a king. He wasn't yet called to be a warrior. He was called to be a shepherd, and he was as faithful as a shepherd as he knew how to be. No, he wasn't perfect, but he took his training seriously, and he realized that God was using even that to train him. God, God knew, David knew, that God was using even the trials in his time of shepherding to train him. How would you like to be a shepherd in a field and see a lion and a bear, and it was up to you and your bare hands to take on this battle? Well, David knew that God was with him even in those trials. I still remember the first time I was uh, in my young 20s in college, and I heard a man named Ken Rudolph who speaks to a lot of teens and college students, and he spoke on this chapter, and he, he used this account of the lion and the bear and said this brought out this concept, that God will use big things to prepare you for bigger things. Why was David unafraid in the face of Goliath? Because he'd watched God deliver him from a lion and a bear. David didn't say, Oh, king, I know Goliath is a big guy, but I remember when I was a shepherd boy and a rabbit snuck out and was stealing the sheep's grass. Big, terrible rabbit. He had long quarter-inch teeth. I killed him with my bare hands. It wasn't the the mouse and the rabbit that David killed. God sent a lion and a bear, right? And, And God was using those things to train him, and yet David understood it wasn't because David was great that the lion and the bear were slain. It was because God was great, and because God delivered him in these scenarios, this uncircumcised Philistine would suffer the same fate. And therefore, it doesn't matter that he's just a youth. It doesn't matter that Goliath has been a man of war since his youth because this wasn't a battle between David and Goliath. It was a battle between the uncircumcised Philistine and the living God. And David could see it even though Saul couldn't. So realize, brothers and sisters, that this is the same God who is at work in our lives. The same one who has commissioned us for tasks. The same one who trains and equips and works to bring us to completion, like all the passages of the New Testament speak to, that our trials and purposes and training are for his glory and our perfection, and realize that, that God is at work in our lives. Well, Goliath, then, is the last one who's seeing things inaccurately. And when David comes out and faces Goliath, he, he, he comes there and Goliath is he's infuriated. Look what he says then in verse 41. Um, He sees him. He he sees that he's just a kid, that he's this good-looking, handsome kid. And here's what verse 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Where's the sword? Where's the javelin? Where's the spear? He's got his shepherd's staff. And Goliath says, Are you kidding me? This little kid? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Now here's the thing. Dogs were unclean animals. Goliath was outside the covenant family of God. Here's another instance where uh, a man in Scripture speaks better than he knows. Uh, He he is unclean. Um, You see, David wasn't coming at Goliath with weapons of war. Though Goliath held a spear that weighed 15 pounds just in the tip of iron, and though David used a sling and stones, this wasn't a battle of weapons! 
This wasn't a comparison of artillery. You see, David can see something that Saul can't. And look how David responds. One of, the, one of the greatest speeches of faith in God. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Here's David's response in verse 45. You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. David's response is, you've got a sword and a javelin and a spear. Is that all you've got? Is that really who you're coming to me? Is that how you're going to try to fight this on, on a terms of human weapons? I'm coming to you in the name of the living God whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Here's what David realizes. David realizes that God is passionate about his glorious name, and David was passionate about God's glorious name, and David knew that Saul's, that Goliath's number was up. David knew that this day the, the tables would be turned. And so David goes and fights the battle. God gives him the victory. The people rejoice. The, the Philistine problem is pushed back for another day. And we, on that day, David brought salvation to the people of Israel. And yet, as the story is going to go, we are going to see in the chapters to follow that it was only a temporary salvation. You see, David wasn't the perfect king that could bring ultimate and final salvation. David would have gloriously spectacular, awful failures in his own life. The kingdom would not stand. You see, the people still needed a perfect savior. Who were they supposed to have faith in? You see, even though God used David to win a miraculous battle, it wasn't David. It wasn't this shepherd boy that you could see and touch and measure. You see, the hero for Israel, the Savior that you and I need, this is built around truths that, that we can't see. We need to have faith in the one who did come. There was one that people could see. His name is Jesus. And if we come back to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, he, after he has said in Hebrews 11 that, that faith is the conviction of things not seen, he lists out all the glorious characters of the Old Testament that had faith in this God. And he says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, David is one of these, one of these who has shown this faith. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That word founder, it could be translated as captain or leader or even in some context, champion. Jesus, he's the captain. 
He's the champion. He's the one that has perfectly run the race. He's the one who lived a sinless life. He's the one who died on the cross to provide payment for our sins so that our relationship with God could be made right. And he's the one that we need to have our eyes fixed on. He's the one that we need to have faith in. Brothers and sisters, get this. In the things that you're facing, in the challenges, in what you would want to call the Goliaths of your life, it's not what you can see. It's, it's not the things our hearts are drawn to the things that we can touch and taste and see and smell. But get this, there is a battle going on that's invisible, that we can't see. God is after our hearts and he wants us to know him and have faith in him. And he will go to whatever lengths necessary to capture our hearts because he loves us. He's at work for good in our lives, no matter what that entails. Do you have faith in this God? Or is your life all about the things you can see? Young people, I plead with you. If you look at the high schoolers in in your hallways, in your college classrooms, they're all about the things they can see. They're all about the things they can measure. And popularity and career paths and, and, and successfulness and you will be tempted to trade in what matters for all of eternity, the unseen things, and waste it on things that don't matter. Let me speak to the fathers today on, on Father's Day. You're tempted by the culture around you to live life based on things that can be seen and measured. How big is your house? How large is your career? How many cars? What, what programs do you have your kids in for betterment? None of those things are evil things. But there better be something more important. Is Jesus the founder and perfecter of your faith? Is your life focused on what you can't see? Your children need to know that their dad loves the invisible because, because he's real. He, he, he's the only thing that matters in all of life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He will not fail. Let's pray. Father, you are a God. who does things that we can't fathom or understand. You're a God who's at work in ways that our hearts aren't naturally wired to see, but oh, Father, open our hearts and eyes so that we could see what people can't see, so we could see you and know you and have the conviction of things not seen. Please work in our hearts to this end. We ask and pray in Christ's name, amen.